Hey, 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 what is up, my beautiful humans and any aliens that are out there listening? We come in peace. Well, most of us come in peace. Feel free to do what you feel you need to do with those humans that don't come in peace. But anyhow, I'm back on my little recorder, ready to record more knowledge for y'all. On today's episode, we are discussing critical thinking. Woo! Why is it so hard to think critically? Are we just lazy? What is it? We just don't care? What is it? Because it's really not that hard. I don't know. I mean, maybe because all I do is think. So I'm like, you know, it's easy. You think. Do people not think? What's going on? What are people using their brains for? Make it make sense. According to the dictionary, critical thinking is the process of assessing claims and making judgments objectively based on well-supported evidence. Assessing claims. What does that mean? You are looking into it more deeply, evaluating, and making judgments, right? But you gotta do it objectively. You can make judgments objectively. I say I'm always judging, because I am. I'm always assessing things. Doesn't mean I'm fucking sitting there talking shit. I'm just looking at it for what it is, man. Looking at it deeper. I wanna know more about this. I'm all about the depth. I wanna show me your fucking soul. Like, don't even talk. Just show me your soul. And this is all based on well-supported evidence. So there has to be evidence. It can't just be because, you know, you feel that way or because your grandma said it. Like, where is the evidence? Show me the evidence. That's what makes something a fact. There is evidence to prove it. So when something is a fact, it's a fact. Like, that's what it is. There's no going back. You're gotta take someone to court, what's evidence? Can't just say, well, they told me. That's not evidence. That motherfucker told you, bring him here. Tell us. That's an eyewitness, right? It can be photo, video, something that proves that we can see like, oh yeah, this is a fact. That's critical thinking broken down (laughs) for whoever needed that in their lives. Critical thinking is a beautiful thing. It can help you gain so much understanding you can gain so much knowledge you can create so many things because the more you think the more ideas that come into your mind it's such a necessary ability to not just get by while we're here experiencing this human life form but to thrive to leave something that betters other people's lives behind, to fulfill your purpose. It's what we should all be aspiring to do, to fulfill our purpose. We cannot fulfill our purpose if we don't know what that purpose is. We cannot find out what that purpose is if we don't start to try and understand things. All right, let's get out these feelings and into this critical thinking. A lot of people just know things, like they just do. When you ask them something, oh, how do you know? I just do. They know these things based off habits, based off memorization. But when you ask them something that they aren't familiar with, they have no clue how to even attempt to answer. They don't know how to think about something that has never been thought about. They're only thinking about what someone else is telling them to think about. So what do you do? 
when you don't know something. That's what really matters in life. We encounter so much unknown. Like there is so much unknown. There is so much unknown beyond this planet, beyond this life as we know it, beyond these elements, beyond everything. There is way more that we don't know than we do. That's all life is, the unknown, figuring it out. We've got to learn to think critically about the unknowns that we are faced with so that we can make the best possible decision in all aspects for the whole. During my years of education, I came across this really cool article called Describing 16 Habits of Mind by Arthur L. Costa and Benna Kalu. Water. Shout out Kehlani. So what are these habits of mind? According to these two, habits of mind is our intellectual behavior. So it's the way that our mind responds to the unknown. The way we go into action about the unknown. That's what life is. I keep saying that's what life is for everything. <laughs> but it's true. That's what life is, okay? Life is you have a thought, then you have a feeling about it, then you have an action based on that feeling. Those who are not familiar with their emotions, feelings yet, they don't understand that last part, the part that their feelings is controlling their action because they're just doing you know, they're avoiding their emotions, so they're missing that part. They're missing so much information from their beautiful brain that can benefit them in so many ways. Now I'm here to stop that. So how do we use these habits? Well, that requires a choice about which habit to use at that moment. This is gained through experience. You've got to go through shit to learn how to handle shit. And remember, you have control over your mind's exposure to stimuli. You have control over to what type of stimuli you expose your mind to. Like the title says, there's 16 habits. But I'm only going to mention my favorites. Because it's my podcast and I can. One of the habits I really like is persisting. And like my girl Aaliyah said, R.I.P., if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. That's what persisting is. You try something, if it doesn't work out, you don't give up. You don't say, fuck it, I can't do it. You try another way. Then you try another way. Then you try less. Then you try more. Until you do what you set out to do. People that can critically think, they have this habit. Another one that I really like is managing impulsivity. I struggle with this. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I blame it on my moon, Sag moon. Astrology peeps, y'all know. Y'all know. But, you know, managing that, the fact that I can acknowledge that and I'm aware of it helps me manage my impulsivity. Managing that would mean, okay, let me think a little before I go into action. We've got to remember that there's a consequence to our actions. Our actions, like, we don't just go out there and do things and that's it. No, something happens after we do things. It affects other people. Everything's connected. So think about the consequences 
what could be the worst of this action, you know? Um, what could be the best? What could be the in-between? Think about other alternatives. Like, hey, maybe this action isn't such a good idea. Let me, what else could I do to fulfill that need that I have, but keep myself and everyone safe, right? Basically, don't be stupid, man. Another habit of mind I really like is listening to others. Wait for it with understanding and empathy. Listening is so important. You can acquire a lot of knowledge by just listening. I think I've touched up on this before. Some psychologists even believe that the ability to listen, to empathize with, and to understand another person's point of view is one of the highest forms of intelligent behavior. To be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. To say, I'm not going to judge you because I see the human in you and I know that I am human too and I have been through some shit and because I know that, I know you have been through some shit. It's a beautiful thing. Another of my favorite habits is thinking flexibly. Can you change your mind as you acquire new information? It's very important in this fast-paced world we're living in. Things are always changing. And if your mind isn't able to keep up with the changes, you're shit out of luck, man. You ain't gonna make it. I mean, we're living in a time where things are changing so drastically. Just a few months ago, we were living our capitalistic bubble, right? And now we're fucking home. And we keep being bombarded with new information every fucking day. Like, come on, we gotta learn how to think critically about all that information. We can't just be out here believing what they tell us. Because, trust me, they don't have our best interests. This other one that I really like is finding the humor. That's another habit that people that can critically think have. Finding the humor. I love to laugh. It's my favorite thing. Oh my God, when I was little, we used to get in trouble for laughing. Like my Nana used to just get so mad because we would laugh like just at everything and anything and fucking hysterically. She would call it el quelele when we couldn't stop laughing. Like we would just keep laughing and laughing and she's like, ah, ya les agarro el quelele. Like she would get hella mad. It was funny, man. But yeah, laughing is... Laughing is everything. Laughter is my favorite thing to do in life. Ah, I just feel so good. It's the best fucking medicine. And it actually has been proven by science that your pulse drops. Like when you have a good fucking laugh, your pulse drops, endorphins get released, oxygen increases in your blood, laugh more, less stress. So basically what I've been preaching if we want to put it in a few words, in a little summary. Life is not just knowing things. Life is what do you do with the information once you have it? How do you act because of what you know? That's life. La vida. Do we really have to learn to critical think? That's so much work. Like, why can't we just live our easy lives? do what they say, accept their beliefs, go to work, 
why don't we just do that and just live a comfortable life? And you can do that. Maybe to a lot of people, that's not a comfortable life. That's fucking making it. But if you don't want to live your life that way, if you want to be in control of your own human life experience, you have got to critically think. There's so much bias out there. Bias is everywhere. It's in our marketing. It's in our heads. It's in the articles we read sometimes. Sometimes the scientifically published articles even have bias in it. So we have to learn how to weed that out so we can really know what the facts are and move forward in our life with that information. Because, I mean, to me, that's what matters, the facts. Like, why do I want to know someone else's bullshit opinion? No, tell me the facts. What is? Because it is what it is. But as we know, there's a lot of prejudice out there. People, you know, have their own opinions. And sadly, it's not bad to have an opinion if you're critically thinking to get that opinion. But most people are not. They just have opinions based on these negative things. Like prejudice, like whatever they've heard their fucking great-grandpa who owned slaves say. And that might not be the right time frame, but y'all know what I mean. Maybe someone was abused when they were little by a certain gender, so now, yeah, they're gonna grow up thinking certain things about that gender if they never tried to understand and process, you know, what really, what it is that happened to them. An abuser is abusing because they have been abused. Like, they have been through trauma. They weren't able to grow up into an emotional, stable human being because there's this major fucking trauma that they never dealt with. And so if you're able to understand that, like, oh shit, the fact that I was abused has nothing to do with who I am as a person, but everything to do with this other person and the horrible thing that happened to them and the fact that they haven't dealt with it, then you're able to move on with your life so much differently than otherwise. It's important to recognize the biases that are out there. Um, There's a few questions to ask when you're attempting to look for biases. So I'm gonna share those with y'all. One important question to ask when you're trying to weed out the bias and think critically for yourself as a human who is 100% capable of having independent thoughts is, what am I being asked to believe or to accept? Does this benefit someone else in some way if I accepted this belief? Mm? A lot of times we get ads where it's the best fucking makeup out there and they have all these reasons why and reviews from people that loved it and yada, yada, yada. But who wrote this? Well, the person who owns the makeup line. Are they going to benefit from this in some way, from me believing that this is the best makeup? Yeah, they are because you're going to fucking make them rich. Look a little deeper into that. Are these reviews real? Yada, yada, yada. Another question, what evidence is available to support this belief? Evidence is available. Dig deeper. I said what I said. Another question, what are alternative ways of interpreting this evidence? Because sometimes evidence can get misinterpreted. In my research psychology class, we had to look at evidence and say, hey, did they interpret this correctly? 
or is there something that needs to be corrected? So again, look, look deeper. <clears throat> look for other ways, other reasons, other answers. And then lastly, you know, you want to think about is there any other additional evidence that could help me make sense of the situation? And these can apply to any type of belief. It doesn't have to be scientific. I know I keep saying scientific. Another important aspect of thinking critically is the research part. I keep talking about digging deeper and it's like, well, how do you do that? You research. These girls be doing research, research, research. That's that big Sean research. It's a good song. Um, but yeah, it's research, man. You can do research about anything. And y'all do. Y'all be doing research on everything. You do research to find out if he's cheating on you, if the guy who just fucking liked your friend's post has a girlfriend, if your girls had sex with one of the homies, you want to know who your niece's baby daddy is. Y'all be doing research for that, but nobody wants to do research about why Flint, Michigan still doesn't have access to safe water or about where all the kids that we're putting cages are now. Hey, you'll know how to do research, just apply it to bigger situations. Like everything else, there's a lot of different research methods out there. Why, you know, should we learn about these research methods? Why does it matter? Like if I'm not gonna be a scientist, why should I know this? I think that's a problem. A lot of us just think, you know, oh, that's their field. Like in order to have that knowledge, you have to make it your career. No, you can just learn about anything. That's why, I mean, people talk a lot of shit about the US education and I do too. I talk shit. I talk shit. But the one thing I do like is that general education part where you take all these different classes to just learn different different subjects, you know, become well-rounded. I think that's you have to do that to be human. You don't have to be an expert on it, but at least kind of understand how it works. When we learn about these research methods, we learn how to improve our reasoning regarding events that happen in our lives. You know, like I said earlier, this pandemic we are living through, it's an excellent time to use those reasoning skills. If you don't have any, like, I'm sorry, I would hate to see what type of situation you're in right now. Reasoning skills are important. You also want to become a better consumer of research. We, unfortunately, or some people might say fortunately, live in a capitalistic society and we are therefore consumers, whether we like it or not. We are bombarded with advertisements all day long. Someone is trying to sell you their brand and some use research, I'm doing it in quotes, research to get you to buy their product. Do you want to just purchase brands blindly or do you want to have some understanding of these research methods so that you can make an educated decision? Because, you know, the brands we are <laughs> supporting are not doing us any favors. I try to, as much as I can, only support brands that are, you know, doing good things for the world, like positivity. Yes, I support that. And if I find something negative out about a brand, I, I really, like, I don't support them. I don't fucking go to Chick-fil-A. I stopped going in and out because they support Donald Trump's campaign. Like, fuck that. What does that tell me? It tells me you're fucking racist. Or maybe you're not racist, but what do you only care about? Money and power and keeping that money and power. And that's not what I fucking care about. So that's not what I'm supporting. You know, it blows my mind that, I don't know, like, is it people don't realize or people just don't care enough? 
or people just don't have that discipline. You're like, oh, well, yeah, they do this, but fuck it, their burgers are so good. I don't know. But if people just realize like the power that we have, you stop consuming a brand on this scale of millions of people, that brand goes out of business. What are they going to do? Be fucking forced to change their ways or fucking be gone. Good. We don't need that brand. That's how we can work to make the world a little better. So how do you investigate things? Well, you can observe. You have to observe with different senses. We have different senses. We can use them all. Observe with your eyes. Observe with your ears. Observe with your nose. Observe with your hands, touch. We can observe with taste. I think that's a sense we forget about a lot. You also investigate by using logic and reasoning. So like I was saying earlier, we gotta have reasoning skills to be able to use them to investigate. And we investigate by looking for evidence, the facts, right? I keep talking about the facts. Yes, that's what we investigate for, to look for the facts. So the research process in the scientific world, and it can be applied to anything else, like I said. So the process goes a little something like this. First, you get an idea. Then you turn that idea into a research question. Then you test the question. And then you interpret those results. Sounds pretty simple, but it's not that simple, at least not for the scientific world, because in the scientific world, you have to be able to prove that your idea is true because that's what science is. They want the facts. In the scientific world, and any other field really where you want to show cause and effect relationships, the research has to be accompanied by experiments. You've got to come up with a hypothesis and you've got to make sure to include a null hypothesis. Then you have to determine what your variables are, which one is conceptual, which one is operational. Now, how are you going to measure those variables? Are you using a survey, a questionnaire? because self-reporting can be very biased. The participant may lie to present themselves as a better person. They may not remember accurately. Our memories are very flawed. The questions could be framed in a way that leads to a specific answer. Then we think about how are we gonna design our research? Are you doing an experiment? If so, now you have to decide which one of your variables you are going to control and which one you're going to manipulate. Are you going to do descriptive or correlational research? If you're doing correlational, you have to remember correlation does not mean causation. Just because there is a connection between two situations does not mean one is causing the other. What else is affecting the outcome? Example, a study reveals that the more a mom smokes, the more her children will exhibit behavioral problems. First, you think, well, smoking is causing the behavior issues. But why do people smoke in the first place? They're stressed. So is it the smoking? Well, we can't say for certain that smoking is causing the behavior until another study is done that measures the other variable, the stress. Then you think about how are you choosing your participants? Random sampling is usually the least biased way, but of course it depends on the type of research you're doing and what your research question is. So after all this is done, you still have to make sense of your findings. Was there a main effect? Were there any other interactions? Statistics, statistics, statistics. Your mean, your median, your mode, your range, the bell curves, the all of that. Woo! 
it's a lot. You know, I don't expect us to think about situations like that to that extent, our everyday situations, no, but just wanted to share that so that the people that want to know have some kind of idea of what that research method process looks like. We've been talking about thinking critically, and I keep saying it's important to think critically and it's important to make your own decisions on things. Well, why? Why is it important? Even though this current life we're living is not our first, it's not our last, um, we don't know what really is beyond this, we don't know the bigger purpose of any of this, we don't know if we're just someone's puppets, we, you know, it can be anything, we don't really know the purpose of life itself. We think we know we have theories, but is there any way to really do a controlled experiment on those theories? It would be very difficult. The reality is, you know, even though none of this shit really matters, we all gonna be gone one day, could be fucking right now, could be tomorrow, who knows? That's the point, we don't know. I'm not trying to put any negativity out there, universe. Just, just explaining that we don't know, okay? You got that? Thanks. The fact is we are on this world and while we are here, everything we are experiencing is very real to us. And there are some things that we experience or some things people do that really fucking harm other beings, really harm our environment, our home. This planet is our home, yo. We live, you don't live in your fucking house. You live on planet Earth and there's people out there that do shit that they cause irreversible damage. And I'm sorry, but no human has the right to cause irreversible damage to another human. We're all just human. Chill the fuck out. A topic that many of us are afraid to discuss, we try to avoid as much as possible, it makes us so uncomfortable, is race. And racism, as we've all seen or experienced in some way is very real and it's very serious and it's the reason for a lot of horrible things that could have been avoided and it is 100% a socially constructed category a way to divide but it is a social construct that we can critically think about and we can come to our own conclusion. We don't have to listen to our parents or grandparents who still hold on to those beliefs or the shit you hear on the news or the shit the fucking president is saying himself or the shit you hear at work or the shit you hear down the street. You don't have to just believe those things. You can take some time to think about those things and realize that it's just a fucking racist remark from some fucking loser and not hate yourself for it and also choose to not be racist. And I know that when you see someone being racist to someone else, it makes you feel like something. So listen to that feeling and look deeper into it. Why is it making you uncomfortable? Because it's causing harm to someone else. And we're humans, like we're all humans. I don't have to take on this negative belief that causes harm onto others. Racism doesn't get discussed as much as it needs to. We want to just say so badly that we don't see color, but we do. And it's okay to see it, but it's not okay to hate someone because of the color you see. 
you know, I used to believe like, ah, we just, well, we keep talking about it and that's why everything we make it about race. But no, we need to talk about it so we understand it and we come to this, you know, high majority consensus that it's something we're not fucking doing anymore. We need to spread the knowledge. We need to fucking cut ignorance. As soon as that shit starts, mm-mm, cut it out. So for today's episode, I got real brave and I decided to end it with a panel of beautiful, amazing people who you will all meet in just a second. And we're just going to have a conversation about race, a very much needed conversation about race. Go make a cup of tea. Go get some snacks, light a candle, light some incense, burn some sage, whatever the fuck you want to do. But just listen, then critically think about everything that's been said. All right. Introducing my beautiful, intellectual, radiant panel. First up, we have a Bay Area legend. Hi, everybody. My name is Nat. I'm a gay bay boy living in L.A. now, queer and Vietnamese, son of immigrants, refugees to be exact. I went to school in San Diego to do, like, you know, UC San Diego stuff, but I kind of dropped out, and so I'm working my way back into that. Um, and right now I'm in, um, in L.A. at L.A. Trade Tech doing a program called Community Planning and Economic Development, which is social justice oriented, but, you know, the, the finer workings of it, you know, less theoretical like what I was doing at UC San Diego. And more applicable. Basically, I'm trying to finesse the implementation of my social justice. It's not enough to talk about it. I gotta be about it. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Gabby. Well, I'm Gabby. I'm actually Angie's cousin. Um, yeah, that's for life. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I just graduated from UCLA. Um, in March, I, I I'm a political science and Chicano studies double major. I work at, at, a, at the UCLA Labor Center. Nice. All right, Britt, you're up. Hey, everybody. My name is Brittany. I met Angie while getting a tattoo. Um, <laughs> it was really, yeah, it was fun meeting her. She's awesome. Um, and then we connected on Instagram, and we've been following each other ever since, hyping up each other's stories and stuff. You'll get to know me more during this conversation. Yes. All right, Raul. Hello, everyone. I'm Raul. I'm an artist. Man, everyone's listening credentials. I have a bachelor's in graphic design, and that's probably as far as it went. I've been an artist and a leader in my community here in Sacramento for a long time. I'm an art curator. I also host uh, art events on massive scales. I've been doing it for several years now. I've been an artist in the community for 20 years. Plus, but I would say that I uh, got really serious with uh, curating art shows and doing uh, murals and things of that nature uh, the last uh, the last past 10 years. Last panel guest, but definitely not least. Mike, I'm Angie's boyfriend. I'm just here so I don't get fired. <laughs> no, I'm a real estate agent with uh, Keller Williams, and I'm a veteran. I was in the Air Force for 12 years, and I'm just here to support my lady and uh, just give my little two cents, talk my shit. Now that we're all comfortable, <laughs> let's talk about race. I just want everyone to know I got tequila in my drink, <laughs> and I'm up three shots in, so uh, oh I'm ready to have a little fun. Brit's with you. Come she on. was drinking wine. Real thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I'm having sangria. I'm um, 
My name is Brittany Fields, and I'm also known as Champagne Giggles, so I'm always about it. So what did you guys grow up hearing about race, or what did you experience around race, if anything? So for me, my experience with race and ethnicity is, in my opinion, very different. We grew up, I grew up, like, dirt poor survivalist level so what was most important for us was surviving and not our ethnicity my first encounter with ethnicity and race was um i was sitting at the lunch table i was like eight or nine years old and i was with this i usually sat by myself just because i am an introvert like that and the popular girls called me over i'm like brit come here and i was like okay so I went over to see them and they were like so like are you mixed what are you and I was we'd never had conversations like that in my home because we were worried about having a home and we went back and forth for a while because I had no idea I'd never heard that never knew what it meant and they were like you're white and black huh? and I'm like what is that and they're like you're 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 black and Mexican aren't you and I'm like I don't know and at the end of the conversation, I think I ended up just telling them that I was, like, white and black because that's the most thing they seemed satisfied with. <laughs> then I went home and asked my mom, and I was like, what am I? And she was like, you're Asian. And that fucked me up. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went on from there. It was an opportunity for my mother to have a conversation with me about, like, race and ethnicity and our cultural background and things like that. And it didn't come to my attention until much later in life that I'm only um, three generations removed from slavery. Um, yeah, my dad's father, uh, my dad's grandfather was a slave. Damn. I think his father was a slave. Either his father or his grandfather were a slave. Um, and I'm black. I'm black as shit. It's <laughs> a good recessive <laughs> gene. And I didn't start having those really, like, intentional crunchy chewy conversations until I got to college and started studying at Sac State and seeing the reason why my ethnicity and race became so prevalent when I came out to Sacramento is because I'm from the Bay Area and there are so many black and brown people in the Bay Area but Sacramento is white as hell and that's when I realized like damn like I'm black like I'm hella black that's my experience with race and ethnicity when did you move to Sacramento Britt? In 2014, when I um, went to Sac State okay. and then uh, graduated in 2018 and still here. Nice. Still living the Sacramento life. Um, anyone else? Okay, I grew up in a pretty, like, it was diverse, but diverse by Asian standards. A whole bunch of different type of Asian folks, you know, a sprinkling of, you know, Latin kids here, et cetera, et cetera. And, like, I didn't grow up rich, but my parents, like, worked real hard to put me through private school. So that kind of, like, filtered out who was in the area. No, it was not like kids around my block or anything of that. It was kids from all over the joint. Looking back, like the first time that I've been questioned about my race or like my ethnicity was actually by another Asian kid who was making fun of me for my ethnic lunch. Hmm. And I came home that day. I was like, "Mom, Dad, like I don't want this shit no more." <laughs> even though it was fire, even though it was fire, you know, I wanted that. I wanted that stale ass lunchable, and I was just like, you know, I wanted to fit in. And now looking back, it's crazy because like. Um, my understanding of race is like, you know, like, 
it be your own, you know, who are trying to fit in, who are trying to get to the top. And like for me as an Asian, like an Asian American, right? I do a lot of organizing along black and brown people, indigenous people, you know, like women, LGBTQ, et cetera, right? So like my coalition is broad, you know, that's what I view like my community as. But also like um, in terms of Asian American, because I'm in those spaces, a lot of them look at me because of our, our sort of history, right? Like if you look at the Asian American population today, half of them didn't exist in this country before 1975, before the war started, the Vietnam War. And so a lot of these Asian folks are new, but there is a long trajectory and history and legacy of Asian solidarity with black and brown and red movements in this country, in labor and cross-racial like solidarity and justice. And so like, it wasn't until I started to understand the role of white supremacy and how we are used as a wedge between our brothers and sisters, you know, and that is how we fall into this trap. So I think like my understanding of race didn't come until I was in college, mm-hmm. like for real, and I was able to start having those conversations. But before it was my own who was making me feel like on the outside. Yeah, I'll hop in real quick. Um, yeah. uh, my background is I was born in Mexico City, but I was raised in Seattle as a kid. And then from Seattle, we moved to Sacramento and it had to do with farms. My dad picked in the fields. And so like, I, uh, my whole life I've always kind of known about race. I don't know really a time when I didn't um, because I was really called the resident alien up until I turned 18. My whole life I remember being like, I'm an alien. As a little kid, you don't un- really understand what that means. I always thought of it from like an alien from outer space, you know, that kind of thing. For me, it was cool. Because I was like, I'm, I'm different from everybody. I'm an alien. So as a kid, I always had that like uh, dialogue with my friends and, and things of that nature that I'm a resident alien, right? I would say um, my whole life, I've always felt a difference in uh, race. I was surrounded in um, with black and um, Latino children. You know, I grew up in rough neighborhoods, not knowing that they were rough. You know, like for me, I grew up in the hood where like, Fools are getting shy, and I'm over here riding my bicycle. I have always been very self-aware um, in my neighborhoods because if I went into the wrong neighborhood, I could get jumped, I could get beat up just by just riding through the neighborhood. And this is where I started understanding races. I understood race from my Chicano uh, brothers and sisters who also schooled me up on hoods. I was a little kid. I had to know which hood I could go into and which hood I could not. And I learned that through the hard knocks. Now, I'm telling you, when I was growing up, I was I don't know how old everyone is here, but I was growing up in the era of NWA. I was growing up in the era of gangsta rap, lighter shade of brown, all that shit. So everyone wanted to be a gangsta. So everybody wanted to fight, right, as a little kid, as little youngsters. And so, like, for me, um, growing up, it has always been prevalent, and I've always had to choose my sides um, as to who I hung out with and who were my allies. And it was a matter of survival um, and not being tossed around and beat up all the time. So like I've taken my knocks and I've given knocks. And um, in all of that, as a little kid, this is how I've learned about race. I learned about race through the hood and the hood was my teacher. Um, over the years, you know, I've refined myself and I've become a better person. When I lived in a rich neighborhood, then all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, what did I go through? My experience is a little different. I was born in, here in East LA, 
but and I was raised here like I moved around a lot my parents were really young when they had me so like we lived in LA and then we lived up north in, in San Jose and we moved around a lot but at the age of like six seven we moved down to Mexico before like when I, I went to LAUSD and everything and like I understood the difference between me and like the black kids but I never you know like I never questioned like why is there only black and brown kids here you know like I, I never really like I think it was more so like my parents saying things to me that mm -hmm. were negative about the other community. And then I was like, but why, you know, like, mm -hmm. that's not true. Like I have friends, like, that's not true. You know, like it was always like that. But when I moved to Mexico, then you take out, you know, like the, the race thing. Cause especially in that little town that me and NG are from, like, there's only, there's only a lot of like light skinned people. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird. But, and then you get into colorism and all of those different things. Not So it wasn't until I moved, back to the U.S. And, and went to college. Because even when I moved over here my sophomore year of high school, like, I didn't really understand race how I understand it right now. Like, similar to uh, Brittany's situation, like, I was just worried about, you know, where I was going to sleep and what I was going to eat and, you know, where I was going to get a job and stuff and hustling so I could get to college. Um, so I didn't really start thinking about that until like, yeah, once I came into college and they, they started telling us like, hey, because you're black, because you're brown, you're gonna experience different things, you know? Um, and, and yeah, during like Chicano studies classes and all of that, you know how they like radicalize you and stuff like, um, and then going to Mecha and all these other orgs and they keep, they keep telling you that. And, and then you see it, you see the pattern and then you're like, oh, like that's literally what, you've been going through this whole time and you know it but you never could articulate it so and now I apply that into all my work like there's there's no like work or situation that I go into without applying that framework okay yeah I had a similar experience to Gabby's we moved around a lot like I lived in Mexico for I was born here but then when my parents divorced we moved back to Mexico me and my mom and then I ended up coming here on my own when it was time to start elementary school because you know, what is an American citizen doing in Mexico, going to school there? So then I was raised um, by my dad, and we ended up moving to Stockton, 209, <laughs> when I was like 10. And Stockton's the hood. Like, it don't matter where you go. It's the hood. Um, so I never really, to us, the minorities were the whites. Like, it was nothing but black brown people and the high like the schools that I went to it was predominantly Filipinos Latinos black people like there was maybe like five white people in our entire school you know it was from my family that I was hearing things about race like to me it was just like what like these are all my friends like we're all humans like what like I didn't really look at you know race like I didn't think about that but then when I would hang out with my family members, which was all the time, like we, our families are, well, they used to be like, we would be together 24 seven. It was insane. Um, like the whole family, not just, you know, like cousins, auntie, everyone. Live next door to each other. Yeah, we literally all lived like right next door to you. It was crazy. Um, so every time, you know, we would hang out, I would hear comments from them, just like racist comments about, and the same way, you know, Gabby, like I used to think that, like, what are they saying that for? Like, I hang out with these people. Like, I don't think there are these things. I wasn't able to really even understand. Like I knew how it made me feel like when they said those things, it made me feel really uncomfortable and it made me feel like 
it just hurt, you know? Like, why are people talking like this about other humans? Like, but I didn't understand, like, where it was all coming from and that it was this whole, like, race thing until I got older and, you know, you're able to just articulate and understand things differently. Both me and Gabby, we don't really hang out with our extended family anymore because of that reason. Like, like I would get into fights with people all the time, <laughs> like family members, just because, you know, I call them out on their bullshit. Like, why are you saying this? So, yeah, it got to the point where it's like, I don't need to be around these type of people. Like, you may be my family by blood, but we have very, we just see the world very differently. Yeah, that's kind of funny how a lot of the experiences I've been hearing is race is being policed by the people closest to us. I think it's kind of amazing how we all grew to have our own understanding of race separate from what people are telling us. We're also living in some interesting times where the old and the new are colliding. A lot of our parents are were watching black and white television. And my parents, they came from Mexico. Like, if you had a television, you were fucking rich. You know what I'm saying? So, like, and that's my parents, though. I'm just saying, this is like a generation, this is a very yeah. far away, yeah. you know? Yeah. They also got systematically changed in their mentality as well when it came to other races and cultures without knowing their history. If you're going to school in Mexico, you have to pay for that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, a lot of those people are incredibly poor. So education ends at elementary mm -hmm. for a lot of people. I agree with Raul. It's, it's definitely a, it's going to be generations before this really gets addressed because, um, just the, the just the lack of awareness and, and everything, like you said, about the systems and everything that was in place that kind of yeah. shifted people's thinking and thinking, you know, we're looking at each other, you know, with wealth classes and like, oh, you're the reason why I don't have this. You're the reason why I don't. And then the prejudice and all that. And so it's just a mixture of a lot of that stuff. I feel like my son's generation will actually like his grandkids where it'll really like get addressed where it's like there's more free information. But then at the same time, it's like, I don't even know what the information is going to be like then. Because, like, as we can see now, like, we've known we couldn't trust the news. But now it's, like, obvious, like, more than ever before that the news is just, they don't know what the fuck. And, and they're pushing an agenda. And more people are being awake to that. You know, some people, what I see, it's like, yeah, it's a prejudice. Like, because me, I lived in Yuma, Arizona. That's where I finished high school, moved from Sacramento. Yuma's in the southwest corner of Arizona, right on the border of Mexico and California. And I was a minority there. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and that's where I learned, you know, the, uh, I, mean, oh. you know, that's, I mean, that's, you know, yeah, of course that was the first time I went to Mexico and all that stuff. And then, you know, that's when I learned about, you know, the farm trade between, uh, Salinas and Yuma and all that. And best friend, uh, his mom, like she hated me at first, but of course she would feed me and then she just grew to like me. And it's just, like I said, it's just, I mean, we all have our own prejudice within our own community and we're just mm -hmm. like, eh. But I feel like when it's racist, when it's like a true, like on an offense, like blocking someone's progression or, you know, inflicting yeah. direct pain, then that's when it's like, you know, I haven't experienced a lot of that. But of course, we've, I feel like we've all have experienced that in some way or another. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, a lot of times when you follow that voice back, right, that, that voice of, uh, of racism where you're like, is it Piche? Is it Piche Moreno? Is it, you know, whatever it may be, right? When you follow it back, you'll realize that it's not even your own voice, that it's actually someone else. That a lot of this stuff we've attributed and we've sucked in from our parents, from our families. And, you know, I like to follow the voice back. And your true voice, in my opinion, are us Americans who understand that we didn't even choose what vagina we came out of in what state or country. 
That's the big part. We can't even choose our. We can't choose our parents. Right. And and then we'll be watching all day and the night. Like how they ended it was just the message was you can't choose your environment. You can't choose whatever you're born into. But the goal is do your best to choose who your role models are and who you pick to go forward with. You know, as far as your environment. I just feel like um, right now we're living in a time where um, it's it's been unprecedented. We have this illness that is worldwide, everyone's inside, everyone's in their homes. So what better of a platform could politics play in your ear hole? If you're sitting there watching the television, it's so incredibly strong right now. You know, uh, how can you walk away from it? How can you ignore it? You can't. So having these hard conversations, having these talks where it's really difficult. Yeah. We got to get through them. We got to get through them as a society and we have to have the hard conversations before we can get back to like love and peace and unity and all of that shit. Before we can get there, we have to have hard talks. That's the biggest, you know, race that's uncomfortable to talk about and you bring it up and people just, oh, well, you want to bring up race now. Yeah, I do want to bring up race, motherfucker, because it affects us. Like, what the fuck do you mean? And it's so easy for, you know, the privileged people to say that, like, oh, you want to talk about race and kind of just brush it off because they are not affected by it. But the majority of us, how did one group of people make a bunch of other groups of people just feel inferior? Like, how? Genocide. Right. So it's like, look at all the races. White is just one race. There's how many other races out there? Like if all of, and all those other races are seen as less than by, you know, the whites and by all of us, like we've internalized that feeling. That's crazy to me. Man, look, it's what I was talking about the other day. The the problem with everything is everyone's so focused on all this other stuff that just, it's a whole fucking, it's it's a pretzel, bro. And it all fucking, it makes the infinity sign, right? Everything that we're talking about all correlate. The bottom line, the issue is we don't even know what's next after this form, after this lifestyle. So how do we know what bigger to be focused on besides all this man-made bullshit? Because we don't even know what's next. But everything that we know is word from another man that was passed on for years and years and years. And as we all know, man is flawed. You really got to think about that, man. Like, why would we be so focused on clashing on wealth gaps and healthcare if everyone is on the same fucking page about knowing what our fucking existence is here, what our purpose is here? That's beyond some man-made shit. Because then the other shit just subsides, in my opinion. It just falls off like, oh, shit. Once people realize that shit, it's like, why am I tripping off their skin color? Why am I having an insecurity about, you know, their physical fucking presence? Me, I'm trying to see, like, above it all and just be like, the that's not the bottom line. That's not the issue. That's not where we need to start. What we need to start is what is our fucking existence and the purpose here? Well, that would be great if all these other things didn't already exist and were put in place and are affecting exactly. millions of people. I mean, like people have needs in real life. Yeah, no, I feel it. Like people have real needs that are more to come and less to others. Like yeah, I think it's great to say like let's see above and like let's let's find the real meaning of life. But we also have to recognize that as humans, as flawed people, we've already defined that for ourselves. Yes. Right. We've already made sectionalities. We've already compartmentalized ourselves. Because how do we go so, back, right? Like 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 just like COVID. Like how do we go back to normal, right? Like yeah. Pre-COVID wasn't normal. I think seeing above is damn near saying the same thing as I don't see. Yes. I don't see blank. Yes. I don't see blank. 
you have to blindness. see blank. You have to see blank to want to see above. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. Agree. Yeah. Well, well, one thing I wanted to point out is that there's something called the pyramid of needs, and if if yes. of course you you don't have you're not meeting the pyramid of needs, mm-hmm. you can't see above the next level. Right. So what I'm saying is, is there's a lot of people who are struggling who can't even conversate about politics because they're just worried about the next bill. Right. So the next meal. This is where capitalism and democracy are not synonymous. Right. Humanity and capitalism are not synonymous. When you're constantly reaching just to pay a bill, you can't even fathom the Mm -hmm. conversation about. Yeah. You can't move on. Yeah. I feel it. Maslow's uh, pyramid of needs. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what it's called. <laughs> all right, all right. Most millionaires I know, they have their millions off of immigrant spines. I'll let that sink in on you. That's... They have their millions I mean, out of all of us. spines. We buy their stuff. Right? Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Exhibit A through Z. It's a privilege that we're able to think about race. But also, I think that... Um, because that we are able to think about race is not enough just to know that it exists. Yeah. Now we have to think about the psychology about it, like be a little bit meta, right? Because something that I think that you said earlier, Ange, was like, how did one race become like the dominant status quo, dominant paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that question is super important. If you look at what whiteness is, what the white race is, it's defined by what it is not. Mm-hmm. Right. right. <laughs> Irish people weren't white. Mm-hmm. Scots weren't white. Italians, Jews weren't white. But somehow they became white, right? And so the entire white mentality is who do we exclude from the bounty of what we got? Mm-hmm. And if you look at capitalism, that's the same mentality. There are winners, there are losers. There are people at the top, there are people who have nothing. And that is a different paradigm from what we are used to. The stories that y'all have shared with me show a lot of solidarity, community. Even if we're like discriminatory against each other, it's a very much about survival and group wellness. Yeah. And That's instinctive though, that right? It's instinctive to us mm-hmm. because in a certain way, you know, like when, when y'all were talking about, um, Angie and Gabby, when y'all were talking about your families, like big ass families who next to each other in community, that's a community, right? Like yeah. my family, when we got together, it'd be like twenty of us in a house, mm-hmm. and that's only the side that lives on this part of the the, the yeah. know, of the country, right? But again, like that that that's a very like all of us eat or none of us eat mentality versus yeah. like whiteness, which is very much like I'm good, y'all can squabble over there, y'all can squabble over there for whatever you got, but I'm good right here. And so, like, that exclusionary versus inclusionary, I think, is at the core of what we're talking about. Because, like, looking at the folks on this call, the same story I hear is that we're constantly trying to make our tribe larger, right? We're trying to have more people with us versus kick people out or exclude people. And I think at the core, that's really one of the major things. Because even when we're talking about the economic things that we're talking about, like, like Medicare or, like, da-da-da-da-da, like... I believe, personally, housing is a human right. I think eating is a human right. I think Medicare is a human right. I think education, like, you know, like, again, those are things that are very inclusive. These are things that I want to expand, not to cut people out. But those are, like, the wars of what we're talking about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to, like, I'll I'll submit some stuff for the record a little bit later or whatever. But there's this gentleman um, by the name of George Lipsitz who talks about 
possessive investment. Yes. So the possessive investment in whiteness, and there's a there is a black spatial imaginary and a white spatial imaginary. White is very much about the exclusionary sort of practices, like place has value and you got to milk that shit versus where we come from, which is like, like place has meaning, mm-hmm. place has value, not because of what capital can produce, but because of why we are connected to it and the communities that we can build from it. So I think like this is an important way to look at it because like the way that this, this is the, the way that we, we can sort of combat racism and stuff like that is by exposing people to like these differences in thought and how we can start to become more inclusionary. You yeah. know, but also still call people out for the racist shit because I'm not having no racist sit at my table. I made for the first time, but then like you know, if you keep doing that shit, I'm gonna have to drag you out. <laughs> yes, that's a really good read. Like if if you haven't read it, like I suggest you do because really to understand like these dynamics, you really do need to understand whiteness, like whether okay. you like it or not. <laughs> like because that that's what like society kind of sets up as the default, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm standard yeah Mm -hmm. i've never like had it like thought about it in that way you just Uh explained it even and when you said it i was like yeah like that's obvious but like i never thought about it in that way yeah Yeah. it's crazy and they exclude people because they can you know because privilege Mm -hmm. allows them to be like you can be here Mm -hmm. or not i don't need you either way you know like but we kind of need each other you know our families need each other and our communities need each other to like grow so it's like yeah. To survive, yeah. Sorry to jump in. I like hearing no, everyone. I, you all had some really great things to say, and I'm really sad to say that I have to leave. Um, yeah. But I want to yeah. thank Angie so much for putting this together. And I want to put in a couple sits before I do leave. What everyone has said, and this is the overall theme for me, is it begins with education. And I think it's important to first look within our own communities and educate within our own communities, take care of our own communities first, because no one has taken care of us. Let's just be honest about Mm -hmm. that. Um, And systematic oppression is what keeps us focused on our bills, what keeps us focused on these things that were put in place to oppress us. Um, A term that I learned in my program when I was at Sac State is hegemony. And that's just basically mm-hmm. how everything, thank you, I'm glad you're familiar with that term, but mm-hmm. everything is put in place by the oppressor to continue to make us feel oppressed. For example, many of us think we know what Africa looks like, but none of us have been to Africa. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because of television, because of the things that you constantly consume or the things that you consume mindlessly. And often we find our most oppressive themes and we get most of our ideas about others from television and media. Um, So I encourage everyone to continue having these conversations, start these conversations within your community, see people for who they really are, get to know people, continue to have conversations, continue putting things like this together. Angie, I really, really appreciate it. I wish I had more time to contribute and chat with you all, but Keep it going. Thank you, Britt, for joining. Wish you could stay, Britt. Thanks. It's a pleasure meeting you. That's facts, though. And if you see it on maps, it looks so little, but it's, like, bigger than a whole bunch of countries, like, and a whole bunch of continents together. That's another thing that, you know, Brittany was talking about that I was thinking about is the fact that, like, anti-blackness in America is exported. I live in South Central now. There is, like, a huge immigrant black population. A lot of what these folks say is, like, don't be, like, American black folks. And it's, like, what is that divide about? Like, a lot of, like, racism in other countries. That's because America exports a very particular brand, anti-blackness. 
and that makes it more difficult for us to organize, which is why a lot of what we're doing now it has to be transnational. We have to be doing this shit overseas. But history has been written by the victors, right? Yes. Um, I've learned a lot about the Revolutionary Wars and the wars between Mexico and Texas and California. What I've learned is that throughout history and throughout time, the United States has, has been lying about wars, bringing us into wars, lying about all the peoples involved, lying about slavery. Well, the Confederates, man, they are the losers of this war, right? So why are they showing the Confederate flag once again? You know, when I see that shit, to me, it's, it's a cross on fire, you know? Mm -hmm. Because to me, the reason why I shared that information about Vicente, who happens to be half Afro and Latin, who was the second president of Mexico, the reason why I shared that on Instagram was because we are very incredibly diverse. And when you're Mexican, you need to you need to know that you're a mixed akin. Okay? You're not you're not just Indian. You're you have Afro roots, you have Spanish roots, you have you have roots that are coming from so many different places. You know, Mariachi music came from polka. Okay, so like when you really start realizing it and analyzing it, putting it together, you realize that being a Mexican, you're actually a mix. You can. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you're a mixture of so many different cultures that bore across me. You know what I'm saying? Because because yes. California was Mexico. Texas. Half of yeah. the United States was Mexico. Okay. So like for and me. And it was indigenous land before that. Yeah, that's absolutely. right. Those indigenous people were also enslaved. That's a right. lot of people don't know that. Well, I, I see them as my brothers and sisters. You know, um, when you even look at the motifs, you look at the Aztec motifs, feathers, the same type of garments, just differently styled. We are brothers and sisters, whether we want to like it or not. It doesn't matter how you want to look at it. You want to call them natives. You want to call them whatever, whatever you want to call them. They are our brothers and we get caught up in rhetoric and semantics. Now, let's take the words aside and let me ask you, what language do you laugh in? What language do you cry in, right? This is universal. While that's a reality for us, we need to take the semantics of race and all that nonsense. In my opinion, I, I feel like it's just words. We hang on this word of he's a Mexican or he's black or he's this or he's that. And I just really honestly feel like that's carpentalizing individuals once again. Yeah, right. I mean, we still have to talk about race, though, because, like, Mexicans historically have been really racist towards, like, darker-skinned people. So yeah. we do still need to talk about but that. I thought that's, like, across, like, the entire Hispanic and Latino culture, regardless. Okay. You know? it's, a it's a vestige of being colonized people. Because, right. Because, like, think about it, like, when, Afri when we do too, black came people. to Americas and colonized us, they set up that caste system. They set mm -hmm. up the colorism and stuff like that, you know, like... Let's not pretend like let's not pretend like race doesn't matter. And that Brittany thinks that Britza was that to be above it, you still have to recognize it because like yeah. what whiteness does is try to eliminate us. They try to eliminate our differences and make us fold into the the rest. So like for a lot of folks saying like I am Vietnamese American, I am the son of refugees, or I am X Y Z, that is saying that I will not be erased in this society. You will see me. You will see like all this shit that I carry, and, you, and every time you see me, I'm gonna talk, start talking about how America got its ass whooped by a bunch of farmers. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that does exist in all races. Like I think Michael's like, trying to say, even you know, light skin, black skin, like light then, skin, dark I mean, skin. Sorry, then, that's a big fight like, in that community. And, and then, then like, even what? still, like just as African, like 
do you go by black in America? Do you go by African American? We can't trace. Not all of us can trace. I don't know who I can't go to my tribal fucking country of in Africa and find my tribe and learn my culture because we've been so like all of us, like we've all like our families have just been fucking through the trade. Who do we identify with? Yeah. Do you know who Jose Vasconcelos is? No, yeah. I don't. Jose Vasconcelos is a Mexican author. And he was actually a presidential candidate at some point. But he wrote a book called La Raza Cosmica. Okay. We study it a lot in Chicano studies. And it basically is him advocating for the pure fifth race. So he kind of like idolizes this mixture that you're talking about. Mixture of races and how that's the most pure and beautiful race. Because we don't have racism because we're all mixed. And that's not true. You should read the book to get like insight. He basically advocates for like mejorando la raza. You know how a lot of people say that? That's where that comes from. In the book, he literally advocates for eliminating African genes from the bloodline. He's an example of how that kind of I don't see race and that um, we're not racist because we're all mixed thing is really problematic because it, it leads to people ignoring the differences between darker skin and light skin people. And just saying we're all the same like they do in Mexico, that's not the answer. Because there's still a lot of inequality. Afro-Mexicans actually just got, like, their little box in the census literally, like, two, three years ago. And there's, like, millions of Afro-Mexicans in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was slavery in Mexico. And, you know, Vicente, who I I, um, shared information about on Instagram, he he actually abolished slavery 30 years before the United States. Yeah. And 30 years before uh, Lincoln was president. Race, what I'm saying is be proud of who you are, but don't let that dictate your movements in life. Don't let that dictate your feelings towards other people. You can be prideful and have pride in who you are. Because let me tell you something. We did not start off as slaves. We did not start off as immigrants. Actually, Mexico had the most gold fucking throughout the world. And there's a reason why the Knights Templar showed up. There's a reason why the Spanish came. There's a reason why all those things happened, because we were not poor. We were wealthy kings and queens, same as Africa, you know, same as other countries and nations. But it was robbed of the romance. And the reason why I say that is that they robbed us of our romance to in-place capitalism. A lot of these rich individuals who continue to have power, they have this power from slavery. Right. They have slave money. Right. You know, without reparations. Yeah. So where I'm going with that is we are powerful individuals. We are strong as fuck. I'm not saying Absolutely. don't look at race. What I'm saying is is that if you just look at race, you have a broken leg. Me, I'm all inclusive. Um, uh, you know, when you come to my art shows and you come and see what I do, you realize that I work with a collective of different types of people. And I really take care of my audience. And there's a reason why I'm successful. It's because I feel like I speak a universal language. And the language is human. And that's the reason why I said, what language do you cry in? Mm-hmm. You know? The human experience really is, is an experience. And it's outside of it. Well, the human experience is about emotion. So it makes us different from other members of the animal kingdom. We have these feelings 
you know, there's millions of them. We feel all sorts and of things, and they're not just for survival, you know? They're for whatever other purposes, for fucking joy, for who knows, for the fuck of it. I feel like that's the human experience, but all this other bullshit gets put in front of us, and we forget about that. So goes back to we still have to talk about this bullshit to deconstruct it. I guess where I'm coming from is a place of, like, uh, I've dealt with a lot of different friction. And that's why I, I, I've, I've concluded what I've concluded to help me be at peace. So if it doesn't resonate for you, it just doesn't. But hopefully uh, you take one piece out of it. But, I mean, just piggyback off what you said earlier, just, I mean, you don't want to be on, on one leg. So it's just, yeah, for balance, I feel like, yeah, understand your roots and and and, and be proud of your roots. Because it, it is, in addition to, like, you know, what you guys are talking about, like, just if we would just consider it all one mixed race. Like, hell nah, man, because the individual culture, like, mannerisms and, and, and just, you know, the things that they do, it just goes up in a wash like what the fuck that has to remain that's what makes us like so beautiful as as a species is we uh these different cultural rhythms man and no i mean that can't be lost in translation just to oh we don't have to pay reparations or none of that shit because i mean basically at the end of the day reparations what, what, give up what white folks know <laughs> what this means how white folks look at it is how, yeah. white, how white folks how white folks look at it is they look at it as like reparations they just want us to crumble you know what i would be fine with is if okay the wealth of your entire family if any of that wealth came from slavery and it did and if it did like for sure for sure you go bankrupt if you came from that no you start over and let's see you pull yourself up from the bootstraps Mm -hmm. and work hard (laughs) how do y'all feel about like cultural appropriation thing when you see other cultures use things from your culture you guys can't come from this place of of like you set the standard for what is business dress and everything else european standard sets the standard across the board for that on how men are tailored to dress so you can't cross into it's not that you can't it's just that it does bother me just because it's like no motherfucker you know we were talking about earlier about how they exclude because they can right right but we can't exclude them from our culture that well you know like y'all had us with a fucking whip slash on our back for 400 years trying to break it out of us colonized it everything and y'all still want more you know like y'all still want our shit yeah. like our culture our Money, and, money for that art that we make, like. And our cultures is what sells the most, right? Our cultures what sells the most. No one's buying white culture. What is white culture? Yo, here's the thing: twelve but, out of the fifteen artists on the Billboard Hot 100 right black. now, black. The top ten, twelve out of fifteen of them are black. Woo! That's the thing. That yeah. like, and as soon as they start making money, it makes it exponentially worse. Yeah. I don't say nothing when you're doing it and you're not making money off of it because you just look weird. But <laughs> power. Right, discussion yeah. of power. We would get made fun of if we went like that to school or to mm-hmm. an interview or to you know like that don't make no fucking sense. They like hop over the culture, ignore the culture, and just make it their own, and that's what pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Is that they don't even give credit. Dude. Country yeah. rock, the shit goes on. Right, like, and now country starting to sound like rap. No, it's wild, but like you know, I think like the thing that I am taking away most from what we're talking about right now is just like the fact that under all this racism and all this stuff, the the thing that makes me feel the most shit is the fact that 
you're trying to take away my voice. People who are trying to enforce racism or any like cultural appropriation or mm-hmm. other sort of stuff is trying to box me in so that I fit into someone else's understanding yeah. instead of seeing me and my my brothers and sisters, you know, my non-binary siblings, etc. Like we are whole ass people, whole ass people with our stories, with the legacies that we carried before us, and even the legacies of people who look like me or come from a place like me, who I mean, like maybe my answers didn't fuck with them, but you know, like we, we have a similar trajectory, right? And it's very important, like, you know, like, yes, history is the past, but also that's who, that's where we come from, you know what I mean? And it's important for me when I'm looking at race to see that whole trajectory, you know, it's not just this moment in time, it's how things have changed from past to present, like what I want the future to look like is what informs what I do today with the people around me with regards to race. I'm not fucking no colonizers, that's for sure. That's but right. I'm still, gonna, I'm, st- I'm still gonna break bread with them and still try to bring people into the future that I want because I, one of my professors, uh, his name is K. Wayne Yang, and he did a lot of work around popular education, around youth resistance, critical pedagogy and stuff like that. And something that he said, the goal is not to kill your enemy, all of your enemy, is to have more friends than your enemy. And right now what we're doing in this circle right here is inviting, is, is we're building community amongst us and we're inviting people to come and step into our circle and build mm-hmm. more camaraderie with each other. Like at no point I'm gonna be saying like, go kill Whitey, but I will be asking white folks to step up to the plate to dismantle the shit that yeah. their ancestors had built and that they benefit from today. Yeah. Preach. Uh, Preach. Their, their, their voice is incredibly strong as an ally. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I agree with that. But don't let them colonize your pussy. <laughs> now that we're all comfortable. I held a black man crying on my chest like a baby. Man. Okay? I held him and I held him tight and I cried too. That decolonization. And you know, that was a healing experience for me between Latinos and, and the black community, to me, that was healing as fuck. To hold this dude crying in my shoulder, in my in my chest, and I cried on him, and-, and You're just and, you humans, know, like, you're just humans. From an outsider's perspective, people would be like, I, I know why you're gay, bro, here's why. But from the, from when you're there, it, it brought me so close to people. I, I guess where I'm going with that is that like, we really are united and we really, are disillusioned through capitalism. Right. I feel I think what you're trying to say is we have more in common than differences, but you know, not everybody knows that. Though. Right, but people, not everybody understands that. And it's like, yeah, you're saying we all do want the same things. I agree with that. Some but we don't approaches. all want those same things in the same ways. Like, right. what brings me yeah. peace isn't going to bring you peace. There's people out there who, to them, wealth means money. And that means yeah. getting that money in whatever fucking way, stepping over whoever. And there's other people who, to them, wealth is emotional well-being. And when you want that as wealth, you're not going to be stepping over anyone and getting it in whatever way because then you're not going to have it, you know? So that's when you start to understand when you're searching for that emotional wealth, that's when you understand and you see that bigger perspective that we're saying. But until you have that, who knows what the fuck you're out there searching for and in what way. If America is to have a revolution, and that's what I think we're leaning towards, if we are to do that, Unity 
has to come before everything. But we have to first decide to unite. And I'm talking about Black Lives Matter. I'm talking about brown shit. I'm talking about uh, Asian, Pacific, gay, lesbian, fucking all the in-between, everything, dude. If, of course, we are to unite, if we were to unite, the whole world would watch and the whole world would pay attention. Yeah. So I hella feel that. That would be fucking beautiful. I think that's something that um, has been touched on is like, you know, like, we do need to unite for sure. Cross racial, cross ethnic, cross everything solidarity, right? Yes, and like when people's needs are not met, then we're not going to get there, right? Like we talked about needs and stuff like that, right? And so something that is is important when we're talking about like what we're talking about right now is equity. Yep. So if equity is not the same as equality. Right? Equality is everyone gets the same shit across the board. What do you do? Equity is you get what you need, mm-hmm. right? And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. I've been going to therapy to unlearn abusive behavior and abusive shit in my life, right? To sort of like weed that stuff out. There's three, there's like these three questions that I continue to ask myself. Like, what do you want and what do you need? Because what you want is not necessarily what you need, but what you need, you're always going to deserve. If we are going to be talking about solidarity and unity, We need to be asking each other constantly, like, what is it that you want? What do you need? And how can I support you? Because let's talk about Black Lives Matter for a second, right? If Black folks are not feeling supported in this struggle against police brutality, and they don't feel that you're giving your effort into them, how can you expect that sort of reciprocity, right? And so when we're talking about equity, we need to be talking about the differences about what we need and what we want because when we're building a big movement, it's about inclusion and inclusion is difficult. Yeah. Exclusion is easy. Exclusion, you draw a line. If you make under $75,000, you get a 1200 bonus check, stimulus yeah. check. What about you make over that and you got three kids and you're a single parent and this is, you know, like there, there are so many different like blah, 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 like yeah. exclusion. So equity and inclusion are very difficult work that we need to do, but it's part of the conversation when we're trying to move towards solidarity and revolution. We do need to talk about the differences in order to unite, because here in LA, actually, it's going on right now that, like, um, Mexicans are hella mad at black people here in, in South Central because, like, some of their youth have been attacking street vendors. I saw what I saw you that. posted. Yeah, yeah, like, the gangs are going back and forth, back and forth, like, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, but then random people keep, like, posting videos saying, oh, we're going to shoot the first black person that we see on Washington and Crenshaw. Like, for example, the details of the world matter. Like, we're in quarantine, people are bored, so they're just going on the internet and, oh, like, yeah. you know, like, uploading videos and pranking people that are outside like that matters like the fact that the fact that our communities can't get along like even when there's nothing to fight about right now there's no jobs there's no going outside there's no nothing right even though we don't trust each other it has to start with one act of solidarity over another over another over another it's not just gonna be 
oh, we're the same, and having conversations, and everybody's going to be like, okay, revolution. Like, yeah, yeah. I agree. And that's what we need to do to fucking end all that division is when you see shit that's wrong out in the world, do something about it. Like Gabby said, an act of solidarity. Like, no matter how fucking uncomfortable it makes you, like, how, whatever the fuck you feel, like, you need to, okay, you're for all fucking people, fucking prove it. There's your fucking yeah. chance. Because I see too many people preaching about how they care about all lives and they support immigrants and they support blacks and then when shit pops off in the street they don't do shit about it Where so you it's at, like Where you exactly at? pull up trust me i'm fighting for it too because i believe in it because our enemies are not each other but that's what they want you to believe mm-hmm. our enemies are the banking systems and the government when you understand how the government was formed in the first place, like, it's clear, like, who's the enemy, like, mm-hmm. you know, from off top, like. And if they're targeting us and then we're killing each other, it's the perfect scenario, dude. It's the perfect scenario because they don't have to do much. We have to keep that dialogue. We have to keep fighting mm-hmm. for it. And that's just how I feel. Like, sure, there's a lot of ugliness, but there's also a lot of beauty and there's also a lot of wonderful things coming of this, like this conversation, you know? Yeah. Yes, there's war. And yes, that's nothing new. African-Americans and Mexicans have been at war for a long time. Forever. Or Latinos, for a long time. That's nothing new. What, what I'm saying is let's rethink what is new and let's try that out. Let's give it a chance, you know? And I know there's rhetoric for rhetoric. There's words for words. There's, everyone can argue anything. But where I'm going with that is that we have an opportunity right now in the middle of the coronavirus, which is incredibly horrible, to do something, you know? And even if it's just posting solidarity, sometimes that's enough for the moment, you know? But is it going to heal the world? No. But it may heal a person in your circle. And if, and if that happens, well, there, you go. Yeah. there you go. They go and it's heal in, someone it's else. It's in the universe. But if we work together, like, collectively, I really do believe that this is the last generation that's going to see so much ugliness. It's not over. We're still here. I see beauty in so many different cultures. I'm very proud of who I am, and I'm proud to be a Mexican leading art shows and being part of this community of art and being a voice within my community, you know? I'm very proud of that. I feel like you may sense friction or whatever. It's just because my background is ethnic studies, mm-hmm. right? I've yeah. theorized race. I've um, waxed poetic with all the people on my block about like racism, all this stuff. And right yeah. now what I'm studying, I think I mentioned this before, is community planning and economic development, right? How is power and racism enshrined in our yeah. daily structures in ways that what Brittany said is hegemonic. Hegemony mm-hmm. is how the status quo makes it look normal. The purpose of what, why I'm saying that is because racism is not normal. Homophobia is not normal. Like a lot of these things that we're talking about are normal to us because the society that we exist in make it normal. But indigenous cultures, there've been three, four, five genders. There's been different acceptances of different sexualities and, and women have played different roles that are not, not necessarily misogynistic in the way that we understand culture today. And so like I've, I've talked about all those and it's great because it, it, it gives me a feeling and an, an understanding of where people are at. And I'm an empath, so like that, that means a lot to me. But again, like right now, what I'm, what I'm talking about is 
how do these structures get baked into our society, into our block, into our neighborhoods in ways that they escape being seen. We were talking about reparations earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like? Because not necessarily everyone can get 40 acres and a mule. I mean, like, you can get 40 acres and a mule in, in Oklahoma, but nobody want to go out there. Mm-mm. So how can we make sure that people are, are set up in ways that validate um, our existence and don't set us up for failure? So, like, for me, when I'm talking about racism and, and ways to combat that, I'm talking about worker co-ops, about like community land trusts, about ways where like people can be living like without worrying about the basic needs of life, right? So that people can be successful, so that people can pass down generational wealth, so that people can, you know, um, build communities that are not always being on attack by those from the outside, by the wealthy and shit like that, right? When we're talking about local control of our communities, that's exactly what we're talking about, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about local democratic control with everybody that that's on our block in our neighborhood whatever the community will want to define it's not necessarily that there's friction what are the practices and things that we can invest in or build upon in order to build equity so that we can start making a material change in people's lives because like the conversations that we're having if it's mm-hmm. about feelings about humanism and unity and stuff like that that sounds great but if i go home um to my section eight apartment and that mouse is still living rent free in my apartment even though i you know set hella traps for that bitch yeah i'm just kidding i love him yeah. but you know what i mean like like if that's yeah. if that's a situation and my unemployment is about to run up and i don't know what i'm gonna do you know what i mean like all that unity stuff doesn't it's not workable mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's nice but it's not workable and and i i don't mean that as as a dig or anything like that i'm just saying that these are different different points on the spectrum of the conversation that we're having about race that need to be bridged together yeah because like because like the unity that you're speaking about informs the work that i do in mm-hmm. order to make sure that the people on my block are not being taken advantage by greedy landlords or by gentrifiers and shit like that and it informs the work of how we build a broader movement. And so I think like that's I think that's just like the bridge where I'm going because like right now my training is very much how do we make this real? How do we create as much impact in as many people's lives as possible while building a broad movement to understand what racism, misogyny, homophobia, capitalism, and all this shit looks like so that we can, you know, build a community we want to see is very yes and. How do mm-hmm. we build upon this? How do we expand the conversation mm-hmm. and bring this to more people so that maybe they can touch on something, right? They can they can have a conversation with mm-hmm. someone next to them without um, you know, I don't know. Humans humans love to love feelings cuz like yeah. that's what makes us humans, but you know, not everybody on the block is ready to talk about so how do you feel about racism? Right. Versus right. like how can we make sure that your landlord is not fucking you? Right. <laughs> yep. Our is the strongest component that the people have. Mm-hmm. You, you, you could lead movements and right. you could try to speak to people with words, but art has always been the language of humankind. Mm-hmm. So my answer to you is, is if you really want to see a physical change in your environment, see, look, look towards your artists. Look towards the people who speak your language. Unify with them. Create an event, find allies. You know, my only answer is let art lead the way. And I promise you, nothing but good things will come from it. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that just in painting form. You know, art is very abstract. It can come in many forms. It can come in writings. It can come in poems. Art 
resonates deeper in people and it moves people to action. Um, simply just saying, let's unite. It don't, you're right, it don't do shit, you know? But when it's a call to action where people see you doing this mm-hmm. consecutively, this conversation right here is a blessing. You know, like we already are doing a number on racism, yeah. you know? The question as to how, I don't fucking know. And to be honest with you, I don't have the answers. But what's worked for me in at least healing my soul and healing my heart from racism, um, which is incredibly strong right now, um, has been working with my community, you know, on a on a human level. His art shows are dope. Um, so I think that's probably, Matt, I'm really glad, I mean, everyone's sharing great things, but I'm really glad you shared what you shared last about um what you're doing now right you're trying to figure out okay how do we actually make this work and it comes down to you know the city planning there needs to be more diversity across the board no matter race just origin everything there needs to be more presence there and that's like i'm so glad you're doing that dude like I mean, and something that Ra- yeah. yeah, like I mean, like what what Raul and and I, I I think like what what bridges us together is the fact that we all have different roles. Yeah, and all of the roles are important, and what we end up doing mm-hmm. is we're creating a patchwork of fucking um, decolonizers yeah. all over the damn. Government is like right now it's kind of fucked up, but government is a tool, and it functions best when it's in the hands of those who know how to operate it in ways that can skew things towards justice or equity right yeah. so all of us have different roles to play we need to figure out what it is and just do the damn thing mm-hmm. because like yeah, yeah. i think we, a, lot a lot about the how like the, how the do we make this work think about it like this shit was created so long ago and it's been in place for so long and it's like okay if we don't have a government what we go back to trade and fucking you know hunting for our own shit like what do how is it gonna work matt you said something earlier about um local right. control government and i'm like when you said that, I was like, oh, my God, that's how you fucking make this work. Like, who better to control your community than the people? Like, you know? But then again, how does that work? Like, how do we switch over to, oh, no more federal government. Now it's just local. Like, you're all... It's not just that, but... Um... Same way they impose government on us. Like... Yeah. I- I'm in the belief you can't ever get rid of the federal government. Um, they will always create war, and they will always kill... Um, to survive. Like, if we convince their manpower. It happens all the time in Latin America. Like, I know you're... Yo, let's talk about the Zapatista. About that, but <laughs> they, they, own, they, own, they own the world. So, like, we're talking about our government. The United States government owns a lot. And I'll just say this much. They do. <laughs> okay, so they gave us, um, what was it, a stimulus, right? 1200 bucks. Okay, so those 1200 bucks are supposed to solidify bills. Now, if you're a student or you have loans or you have pre-existing debt, you don't get that money. That money goes towards that, right? So, like, the same individuals who gave you that stimulus are the same individuals who get their money back. Who are taking money? It's no. The money that you make always ends up back in the hands of those that created it. That's true. Why is it that they point out all of these other areas where we could, like, you know, spend less or whatever, but yet... They never look at the banks. The banking systems are exactly where they need to make the change. When it comes to um, uh, interest, when it comes to loans, when it comes to buying a home, the things have been so inflated for so long. Why is it that the banking systems always, always get bailed out? 
And why is it that we always get sold out? It comes back to the same reason, is that the banking systems own the world. Now, the federal government has to do with our money. Our Fed, the federal government will never, ever give it up. Never. They have killed presidents over this. John F. Kennedy is one of them. So where I'm going with this is that the federal banking industry, we, we need to have a revolution against them. But protect and serve, those police officers are not protecting and serve civilians. They're protecting and serving the money. And the money goes back to the banks. So here we are in a position where we can look around at all we want and deal with race and deal with all this stuff. But in the end, it comes back to that same thing, the banking systems. The money. And they will never, ever give it up until we conquer them. And I mean that in a militant kind of way because I don't believe that they will ever give it up. Yeah. Because what that means is they give up the power. Mm-hmm. And they own our military. We're not, I mean, we're dealing with the industrial military complex that Eisenhower talked about. We're living in the times right now of what we were warned about, what John F. Kennedy warned us about. We're living in those moments right now, in my opinion. If we're not going to conquer them through force physically, then do you think if we just switch our, our currency exchange? Gaddafi tried that. Right. Um, Saddam Hussein tried that. Look at where they ended up. So they try to switch the game because our dollars are not based on gold anymore. They're not They're not redeemable in gold. It's as fiat. Them. Yeah, it's they're fiat. Now, they're only redeemable in debt. So our dollars are worth nothing. So I, I guarantee you when we come out of this corona shit, which is incre- incredibly relevant, right? Because here we are. When we come out of this, we're going to have a whole new money, money structure system where we're not going to be dealing with money anymore. We're going to be dealing with straight like deposit, straight numbers that are coming from a computer saying you have this much in your bank account. When you're dealing with that, then the question is, is who's governing the money? What it is, is complete control. It's not even about money anymore. It's about control, power, worth, what your value is, and your value is deemed by... Yeah, I've heard that, like, where they just base it off of, like, what you do, what you produce. Because they even do that when it comes to regulating Social Security and, or even the death gratuity, too, like... What was your job? They look at what, what did you do and what did you produce to the you know the GDP or whatever, and then it's just like right. they, they base it off of that. Look into the federal government yourselves. Look into the money structure system. Look into the movements that are happening right now. Right. Yeah. People in our government, they're not playing checkers. They're playing chess. And every movement that happened throughout the presidents of God knows when. Right. Let's say George W. Bush Sr. when he was talking about the New World Order. Oh my when he God. was talking about he yeah. was talking about forging a society. And if you look up the definition of forging, whether you know it or not, it is a pounding. Okay? It is a beating of society into a shape. And okay? that's what's been so happening. What, all these crazy the, ass like nine everything, dude. Like all of it's well, been well, the, the, the fear mongering, all of it. You know? Well, well you know, conspiracy theories aside, right? Because I don't yeah. want to go there. You yeah. just fucked my mind up. <laughs> I love conspiracy theories. But I'll just say that the federal government really does own everything. 
And the only way that we can really combat that, because look at everything forever. I mean, look at the, even the, what was it, the uh, 1% movement that happened recently, you know, like about, I don't know, eight, eight years ago. I say recently because I'm old as fuck and I feel like everything happened yesterday. Uh, during that time, you know, when we went through that economic crash where homes became super cheap, look at what happened there. The banks, once again, were bailed out. Right. And, and everyone else got sold out. Like, yeah. all their homes got taken from them. You and know? taxpayers had to, yeah. At that time, I was a professional. At that time, I actually was working for um, a, a, a company called Acorn. And maybe some of you yeah, know I know Acorn. Yeah, everybody knows Acorn. Yeah. But ultimately, I was doing foreclosure prevention where I was helping people keep their homes from the banks, right? And I would be in negotiations with these individuals. And I would straight up ask them, why can you not adjust their loan? Why can't you fix this? This is all made up anyway. Mm-hmm. You guys made up this loan? Make up a new loan. I don't know. Verbatim. They said, we will not give this person their home because there's too much equity there and we're going to be building this, that, and the other near there. So we're going to kick them out and we're going to keep their home. We're going to wait for profits to go up Inflation, and then we're yeah. going to resell it for triple yeah. the value. Really? The enemy, whether you like it or not, it's a banking system because we dance around it with politics. But really, in the end, who is getting the money? These are the evils. Please. I would like to pull us out of the dark for a little bit. Yeah, please. I'm I'm getting depressed. (laughs) I don't want to be on some FBI list, so. (laughs) (laughs) Pull us out. He's also a Capricorn, by the way. Uh, I hate him. <laughs> but by saying that there has always been people that resisted that new world order, that banking system and all of that. So it's like the fact that they haven't fucked us up too much yet means that we're doing something right, right? Like the fact that we're not just all dead now and they have everything and we're like all suffering and dying, like that means we're doing something to prevent that. Can I interject a moment? If you're going to say something negative, no, because I'm tired. (laughs) How do we start to divorce our community away from these hands of those wealthy oligarch people with the money and shit like that? Because at the end of the day, these systems, whether or not we agree with them or not, are going to keep turning. These wheels are going to keep rolling. And we need to find ways that we can say, all right, so how do we play this game but not become the game itself? How do Mm -hmm. we, like... How do we put, how do we find a space in this so that we can carve out areas for ourselves so that we can fight, uh, live to, to see another day and fight another day? We need to organize outside of electoral politics. Yes, we need to know how to play that game, but we also need to organize outside of it. But we need to, but for all of, the, uh, of us who are in those halls of power, who are playing that game, we need to know how to play it better. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's we figure out what mm-hmm. the game was. We help other people through that system mm-hmm. so that we can continue to pass that knowledge down. And it, that's and it, something that's rooted in um, popular education. You know, yeah. like I had to figure out how to get on Medi-Cal, mm-hmm. all these different mm-hmm. social systems. But now that I know how to do it, I know how to get other people through that door. I know how to organize with other folks so that we can get these, these people up because, you know, like what, I don't know, like it's, this conversation, like, yeah, it's kind of dark and stuff like that, but also, like, we need to figure out, like, you know, what Gabby was saying, resistance. Because yeah. our existence is resistance. Our existence sometimes is all yeah. that we have, and it's more than enough, yeah. right? Because we live to see another day. 
and we get to bring other people along with us. That's right. All right, guys, I got to cut this short because we're already at like two and a half hours and that's hell editing for my ass. But that's dope. No, but that's but dope. This conversation has been amazing. Facts were fucking said points were made bro maddie gabby all great input i love it thank you everyone for participating and let's fucking buy back the hood before the whites do it